gentlemen, welcome to Seize Your Mind, the podcast about soccer, mental toughness, and life. Today's guest is Yolanda Thomas. Yolanda comes from Sweden, where she played for the, I'm going to mess this up, the Damalsvenskan. Damalsvenskan. Yeah, for the Damalsvenskan. She also represented Sweden at the national level. She served as the co-head coach of the Oklahoma City FC Women's Premier Soccer League in 2015. Uh, She served as the director of the Soccer City OKC Club for four years. She then went to Edmond Memorial High School, where she had an amazing career of 50 wins to 11 losses. Something like that, yeah. And she played at Oklahoma State. I think I skipped over that part. Assistant coach for TU Women's Soccer, head coach for Roger State University, and now she's the athletic director for TSC, athletic director of soccer for TSC. Whew, that's a lot. How are you doing, Yolanda? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So I just want to kind of get a feel of how you've gotten to where you are today. And um, so let's just start from the beginning. Tell me about what it was like growing up in Sweden. Yeah, cold. <laughs> no, um, I was born and raised in Sweden, but I'm actually also half Kenyan. So my father's Kenyan and I actually spent quite a bit of time in both places. And my dad lives in Zimbabwe. So I actually spent a lot of time growing up uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa as well, in Kenya and Zimbabwe primarily. So I got a lot of those influences as well. But Overall, I had a wonderful childhood. Uh, my father worked in the UN and my parents divorced, so my family was kind of spread out and uh, I got to travel quite a bit. And then uh, I probably played every sport that involved a ball as a kid. And uh, Interesting. Had, had fun with most of them. I was pretty, pretty early uh, realized I had some athletic ability and in a sense for using a ball in any, any sport, but it was also pretty evident that soccer was kind of my, my thing early, early. So stuck with that and like when you say fairly early how what age you kind of talk about I would say I mean even at like seven or eight you know Mm. I knew this was going to be my thing I actually I played team handball which most Americans don't know what it is but uh I grew up in Brazil so they I know what handball is okay yeah it's basically like indoor soccer but with your hands yeah something like that so I played (laughs) team handball and basketball and was pretty good in both of them but uh soccer was definitely main one I play ice hockey and the winners as well the only girl on the team so um but yeah I was a lot better in soccer than any other sport so I kind of knew even as probably a nine ten year old that was going to be my thing I continued to playing uh handball and basketball until I was about 14 and then really had to make a choice because there was just no way I was going to be able to keep it up um kind of 14 15 is when I started being on regional teams and then eventually made the youth team national team so at that point you know I had to make a commitment time-wise and just what I was able to keep up with. And so I, I picked soccer and, uh, and then played in Dalmalsvenskan, as you said, which is the uh, highest league in Sweden. So I, actually, I murdered that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I actually played, I think as a 16-year-old, uh, my first game with seniors. So that's the senior league. And uh, at the time it was an amateur league, but it has since evolved and it's a professional league now. And, and I played seven seasons in there. And then- um, What was your first game like for them? Um, so, on the first team that I played on, we had three starters for the Swedish national team. One of them was actually the goalkeeper. 
who was the goalkeeper of the year after the 99 World Cup, I think. She, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, she was a stud. And, and I was a, always like an attacker or a central midfielder growing up. But when I made it into the seniors, I turned into the left back because someone got injured and I happened to be able to use my left foot. Okay. <laughs> so that's where I got my shot. And so I had this, you know, senior goalkeeper yelling at me every step of every game. And it definitely made an impact on me. Um, you know, she was a professional in every sense of the world, word. And uh, she probably scared me quite a bit the first few months. <laughs> but uh, she, it definitely shaped what I expect out of players, out of teammates, out of players now as a coach and uh, how I approach defending, that's for sure. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So um, she made you into a good soldier. <laughs> oh, yeah, she did. <laughs> Do you remember your very first game for the, for the national team? Um, yeah, well, so with like U15s, yeah, we played the very first one. I think actually we were U16. We played against Germany. So I played in all the youth levels, but I actually never made a, a never did a cap for the senior team. So I played all U15 through U21. And uh, yeah, first time we played against Germany. And they, back then, Sweden and Germany were kind of the leading youth um, programs in terms of national teams because those two countries invested early in youth programming, whereas a lot of other countries didn't. Mm. Um, so we played Germany all the time. <laughs> they were better than us, though. <laughs> I think they beat us two to one that first game. But, first game. Uh, yeah, but it, you know, all throughout kind of my youth career, especially with national team, it was kind of like us and Germany making it to the final um, towards the end of it. And, you know, as I became a senior, and obviously now a lot of other countries and federations have invested in women's soccer and girls' soccer. So you're seeing a lot more diversity in, in the youth um, ranks as well on national team competitions. Uh, countries doing well now that you know you never would have known about a few years back. So right. Great to see. And then how did you get to the states to play for OSU? So, um, so as a kid, so I mentioned that you know obviously I had a pretty international family and then had some exposure to life all over the world. I think even as a kid, I always kind of saw the whole world as as a place where I could get out and do something as opposed to just continuing kind of in my local area. Um, right. And my sister, so I have four sisters and the sister ahead of me, her name was Sasha. She had uh, left uh, Sweden to go to college in the U.S. and she went to an NAIA school in Mississippi and William Carey for two years and then transferred to Florida International University. And I visited her um, in my teens and saw the possibility of combining education higher ed with uh, soccer and although you know as much as I loved uh, playing the game I was a pretty devoted student as well and the circumstances in Sweden and even in other European countries it just made it really difficult to combine elite soccer with full-time university studies and so that's really the core at why I wanted to to come to the U.S. and then also just kind of always had a desire to explore the world um, mm -hmm. so I was actually headed to North Carolina and I had a scholarship waiting for me there, but make a really long story short, I had some compliance issues and I was delayed a year because the NCAA deemed me ineligible. So uh, during that time, North Carolina had plenty of talent. <laughs> I think Heather O'Reilly and Tobin Heath were there at the time. So they didn't really need me, but I happened to know somebody that knew somebody at Oklahoma State. Okay. And they actually filed paperwork for, I think it took eight or nine months uh, to get me reinstated. And so that's how I ended up at Oklahoma State University, which, you know, flying in, I was like, 
I just knew Oklahoma was like somewhere north of Texas. <laughs> so, um, I was a little apprehensive, but man, I had a wonderful experience and uh, Stillwater definitely became a second home for. Did you play right back at Stillwater? No. So uh, I continued, you know, rotating quite a bit. So I mentioned I got into the senior team as a left back. Once I got into the, you know, when you join like youth national team, you're talking about the best players from every club team. Oftentimes, those best players play somewhere in the central midfield or, or scoring goals for their club teams. It's just the reality of where you end up putting your best player. And so you get to camp, you know, there's like 20 out of 24 players are center midfielders <laughs> in their home environments. And so uh, I uh, caught on to defending and zonal defending pretty quickly. So I turned into a center back, actually. So most of my youth um, national team career, I played center back. And when I got to uh, Oklahoma State, I uh, started out playing my freshman year as center back, although I think I scored seven goals as center back my first year. <laughs> That's so insane. I took every opportunity to get forward and, and on set pieces. But uh, each year I managed to convince the coach and prove that I was an asset hire in the field. So I started out as a center back my first year into my sophomore and junior year to play central midfield, uh, either as a holding midfielder or kind of a box to box. And by my senior year, I was actually an attacking middle striker. <laughs> so you're just and edging your way up. up. I did. I finished uh, my senior year, I think, with 16 goals and led the Big 12 that year. So, <laughs> wow. I played anywhere, but um, but I mean, for me, I think I always was a pretty versatile player, and I was always kind of a learner and a student of the game. And I was never, even as a kid, like satisfied. And even when I enjoyed scoring goals, I'm like, I want to understand defending. You know, I want to understand what a winger is supposed to do and whatnot. So I think that just contributed to me becoming versatile. And then being young and getting on kind of a senior team early on, you got to be prepared for whatever chance you're given. And in my case, like I said, I happened to have a left foot as a right-footed player, and there were like three injuries in the left back position, and nobody was comfortable on the left side. So they were like, give the kid a chance, and I happened to have a good game, and that's how I got into the team. So that definitely shaped how I thought about, you know, making sure I'm versatile. Yeah, not, not many people at that young age have such a – broad view of the game they're usually stuck in their one position and I know I was like that personally when I played yeah. I think I had uh, like I said being in, in that type of environment where I was actually training in a senior environment and I mentioned my sister um, you know she taught me just about everything I knew on a soccer field and she's five years older so um, she actually passed away after she graduated college so you know that she had a big impact on my life and how I how I viewed life and soccer in general but being around senior players and players that were older, I think, uh, helped me mature in the game and then take a different approach. Gotcha, gotcha. What made you fall in love with soccer? I don't know that I- We're getting deep here. We're getting deep. <laughs> no, but I, like, I don't remember making a conscious choice. I mean, where I grew up, soccer was just on the street. And like, even in the summer, so I spent a lot of my summers in Kenya and Zimbabwe, and it would be like, you know, two and a half months. And my sister and I were the only girls that played soccer, but we'd bring, you know, a plethora of soccer balls with us and not just play with our cousins, but with kids on the street that had a lot less privileges and, and things than we enjoyed on an everyday basis. So, you know, we were girls, but we were the ones showing up with the real soccer balls. So it's kind of like, well, I guess we'll play with you guys. You are girls, but you do have the soccer balls. So right. that was kind of the bargaining that was happening on the street. So, I mean, uh, I, that was another thing, you know, you, you get out, if you got a soccer ball, you can make friends anywhere in the world. And so um, I think fell in love with it that way. I 
I don't remember not watching soccer ever growing up. I mean, it was just part of the culture. Um, even as a kid in Sweden, um, the neighborhood I grew up in, any given day, weather is decent enough, there's kids and even big kids outside playing. And so I, I don't recall having like a choice necessarily. It was just part of the culture. And just what I you do. It. Yeah. That's great. That's great. What got you into developing like wanting to get even better than when you were like yeah so i think i had uh i actually remember the summer i want to say i was nine um yeah nine going on ten probably or i just turned nine i'm not sure anyway it was a summer break and i kind of i don't think i started playing organized until i was seven or eight um i know right now you know kids start when they're like three <laughs> but yeah. uh um but I remember someone giving me a challenge of juggling. And at the beginning of that summer, I could juggle like nine. By the end of it, I hit my record at 119. And that was really, I think, the period, like a two month period where I understood that you know, if I devote myself, my time and discipline and everyday action towards a goal, I can achieve it. And then of course, throughout that process, I discovered that I have a, a, a knack for, for this thing with the ball. So, you know, I had other friends who were practicing who maybe didn't uh, improve as quickly as I did, but that is kind of like, I think the earliest memory of, man, if I really commit myself to this craft then I can perfect it. That's great. You just talked about setting goals. How, how do you personally set goals? Because goal setting is a big, yeah. a big uh, thing in soccer. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm like, almost too goal oriented probably, especially as a woman. I think sometimes I come across as a bit too task oriented, even with my female uh, players sometimes because women tend to be a bit more relational. And especially when you're dealing with coaching younger players, obviously we, we, we play because it's fun and it's important, but that's something I have to just remind myself because I'm so competitive. <laughs> and, and like when I see the potential in a player, I just want to do everything I can to pull it out. But I know it's important to pull back sometimes and you know let them be kids and, and let them enjoy things. But it is important. I mean, at the end of the day, even little kids, you know, your your parents are making sacrifices for you to be out there, whether they be financial or time or getting you to every practice. Even, you know, when a 12, 13 year old, when they start getting serious and they're training three, four times a week, there are a lot of people surrounding them that are making sacrifices. They're making sacrifices, not being with their friends, socializing and, you know, other things that they're missing out on. And so really about honoring that sacrifice, man, if you're, if you're going to devote that time, then maximize that time. And so for me, as a coach, as a player, as a, a mother, as a wife, I just want to make sure that I'm making the most of the time that I have when I'm devoting it to whatever I'm devoting it to. So I'm pretty goal oriented with not just soccer, but just life in general, um, even like with my kids. I mean, sometimes it's I have a three and a six year old and I've got a lot of responsibilities at work, but it's like, you know what, when I come home, they don't want Coach Yo, they want mom. Right. You know? So I have a goal of you know, if I need three minutes in the garage, then I take it <laughs> to make sure that I'm mom when I walk in the door. And so I set goals in every area of life. And for me, they function as kind of reminders of what am I working towards? I'm not just waking up and existing, but I'm actually working towards something in every area of my life. That's great. That definitely would help you uh, keep on track and stay focused. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, it's so easy with demands of life or when even in the current situation dealing with with such an uncertainty with the, the coronavirus right now i mean it, we need things to, to keep us on track and there's so many distractions in the world in general especially in the world we live in now <laughs> technology and yes. fast life that it is super easy to get distracted so 
Um, I do believe in that, yeah. So do you write down your goals? I do. Um, I typically have like uh, kind of yearly bigger goals, um, but then I break them down into to monthly usually and then kind of weekly and daily basis. So I keep kind of a reminder in my phone that I uh, look at. Um, and then I try to set like, you know, little habits. Um, you know, when I wake up, I'm going to do this workout or uh, for me, actually, faith is a pretty big thing. So I have a rule. Um, when I wake up, before I ever look at anything, I'm going to read a scripture. And that just sets my tone for the day. Um, and it's easy to uh, divert from because sometimes you wake up and your phone has a million, gazillion messages on it already, you know. But so I try to set kind of like habits and, and daily habits that will eventually get me towards that goal. Um, and those are t typically my daily reminders. But yeah, I definitely write them down so I have something to go back and look at. Great, great. All right, let's go back to your to your career. After OSU, what was your next step there and what made you choose that? Yeah, so uh, I um, my senior year, I actually got injured and uh, I knew it was pretty bad in the sense that I was in pain a lot, but we didn't really find out uh, what exactly was wrong until the season was over and I had a herniated disc in my back. And uh, so I actually entered the what was it called at the time, WPS draft, I think. But I ended up signing with a team back home. Uh, it was just, I was ready to kind of go home and be with my family, mm -hmm. along with uh, financially, it was just a better situation to go home to Sweden. So I did sign with a team back home. And then a few um, weeks or a month later, found out that I would have to have surgery on my back. So what initially was expected to be like a two month recovery turned into a six to nine month recovery. And so, uh, and the other part, you know, that changed me during my, my college career is that I came to faith. I grew up in a pretty secular country and didn't really grow up believing in any kind of God, but um, definitely came to faith in, in, in Jesus while I was in college. And so that faith guided my life in a new way and definitely gave me meaning and other purpose. So uh, when I was faced with, you know, um, I can't play basically for this whole year in terms of the season and uh, and then I was in the US and kind of wanted to stay if I wasn't going to be able to go home and play so I ended up enrolling for another degree um, and I did a master's degree and during that year served as a student assistant coach at Oklahoma State and I always I think the first time I like coached a camp as a player I was probably like 11 or 12. Oh, wow. I always enjoyed teaching others what I knew so I knew I kind of had that passion uh, but that year of coaching with Oklahoma State I mean I think I was more satisfied being a coach than I ever was as a player. Um, just to, to be able to invest in, in someone and get help them reach their goal to me was a lot more fulfilling than me reaching my goals. And so uh, that was kind of birthed in me during that year, even during a very difficult time, because obviously I would have continued playing if I could have. Right. Um, but that it just gave me kind of kind of a renewed focus. And so after that, you know, I graduated a year later with my degree and uh, my master's degree in international studies. And then uh, had to kind of navigate staying in the U.S. and dealing with uh, visas and things like that, which was a challenge in itself. But also following, you know, the leading of, of the Holy Spirit, because at this point I was pretty serious in my faith as well and pretty uh, dedicated at my local church and uh, answering the call to ministry as well. So that's how I ended up in Edmond. I took a job in a bank, um, worked there nine months, six months into it. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. I need to coach. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I devised a plan and I worked uh, summer camps for like 12 weeks straight and saved up enough money to kind of make ends meet. 
Um, and then I got a full-time job at Soccer City where I just I honestly did a little bit of everything to begin with, but then I was the director of the Little Kickers program there, which is a child development soccer program for kids like 18 months to 12 years old for different levels. And then I worked with Oklahoma FC um, competitive players and then eventually at Edna Memorial High School. So that's kind of how I got into, you know, full-time coaching and decided I wanted to work a job that didn't feel like work um, and really see in my passion. And then during this time, I also happened to meet my husband. So got married. Um, and he's from technically from Indiana, but pretty much an OP. So, <laughs> so uh, got married during that time as well. And then was, uh, you know, working pretty much full time in soccer in some fashion. Is he into soccer too? Do you no, guys share that? not at all. Like to this day, he can't understand offsides. It's pretty tragic. <laughs> but um, it's funny, you know, um, first kind of at face value, you'd think we don't have any similar interests because he's like totally a band nerd. Like he was a drum major at his school and uh, he's a musician and a singer. Um, he does watch sports, but he's not very athletic. <laughs> but uh, we really do have a lot in common when you kind of sit down and and, um, and get to know us a little bit deeper. And I think where we really match is his passion for music is, a, you know, and my passion for soccer, they're the same. And we're so dedicated to our craft, both of us, and there's definitely an understanding there. So, um, sure. you know, our appreciation for each other's passion has definitely grown over the years, even though he's kind of genius-like when it comes to music. And I, you know, I like music, but I don't get it, you know? And, uh, but he did definitely has learned to appreciate uh, the sport, the football as well. So, uh, you know, it, it, it works out. <laughs> kind of like the yin and yang, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they say opposites attract. And then uh, also, when you talked about the bank, they say if, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. So yeah. that's what you chose to do, huh? Yep, pretty much. It was definitely took a leap of faith when, you know, we got responsibilities and bills to pay and things like that. But I haven't regretted it one bit. So. Do you remember that moment when you're like, I'm done? Yeah. You do? Yeah, <laughs> Tell me about it. Was, it. it was kind of gradual in terms of getting the courage to, like, take the step. But it, it didn't take, but probably three, four months, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give this a chance and, you know, work. And then I started looking at, okay, what could I do next? You know, what does a career pathway look like for me? And at the end of the day, I just came back to me and I, I want to coach, coach soccer. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I've, I've got to commit my time, my effort, my heart where, where I want to be as opposed to just, you know, paying bills just to pay bills. And so, of course, you know, before I quit, I made a plan, like I said, and it was a grind, man. I, yeah. I quit basically April, May, and then I worked like literally 12, mu 12 weeks straight of camp and in the heat in <laughs> the summer. Oklahoma heat, that, exactly. not just the heat, you know, Oklahoma heat. That summer, I think, is when uh, Good Morning America came to Oklahoma and like fried eggs on the highway and stuff. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it was a grind, but it allowed me to save up enough money that, you know, if I didn't have a full-time job offer at the end of those 12 weeks, I could, you know, sustain for a while. So definitely worth it. And at the end of the day, it worked out. So what was the, the quote unquote job hunt like to try and do that, find that next step? Yeah. I for mean, someone who's, for someone who's uh, wanting yeah, to get there, you know? Yeah. It's, it's difficult because in, in sports, not just in soccer, but in sports in general, I mean, you, you kind of often have to start off either part-time or very poorly paid. And uh, so it's difficult and it definitely makes it harder for people who may have other commitments. Um, 
but it's worth it, you know? And for me, it just looked like at the club I was at, Oklahoma FC at the time, I just got involved and I got to know as many people as possible. I tried to learn from as many experienced coaches as possible. I used my network of coaches I'd gotten to know mainly through my college coach and his network. And hey, you know, you have anything. Can I, can I work here? Can I come learn? I would go watch sessions that directors were doing so I could understand what they were doing and ask questions. And, you know, if you show up early and you show up prepared and you have energy, even when maybe you lack skill because you're inexperienced, people take notice. And so that's what I did. And during that time of working all those camps, I met a lot of, met a lot of people and I was able to, if nothing else, make an impression that I'm committed, I'm disciplined, I'm dedicated, and I'm here for the kids, you know? And so I was able to do that. And that's really what led to, to the job offers that came eventually and, and continue to work myself up. That's great advice for someone who's looking to break into it. Um, so after Oklahoma FC, let's talk about the, uh, the job at uh, Memorial, Edmund Memorial. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, whole program. Really that. <laughs> we just had a lot of fun. Um, I was really blessed in the sense that our club at OFC, we, a lot of our players were based out of Edmond. So all of the Edmond schools really had quality programs. So, you know, even before I got there, man, they had, they had some quality girls, but I think what I was able to do is, is bring a new view and passion along with there's just a lack of, of uh, female role models as coaches in, in the coaching world for, for female players. And so that's when girls see that, you know, they may not have even thought about it consciously beforehand, but when they see a, a qualified and capable and committed coach who's also female, they go, oh, wow. I can do this. Exciting. Yeah, you know. And so I think that also uh, definitely helped in getting the most out of those players. But coming from the competitive side as well of club soccer, it allowed me to have a good working relationship with our club coaches because, as I'm sure you know, um, you know, a big challenge often is how much we're, we're um, taxing our players during high school season. I mean, they're training every day with their high school, playing two games, and then they have club practice two, three times a week, and then they have games on the weekend. It's just too much, right? And so when the same club coaches that I also worked with knew that I knew their club schedule. They knew mine. I knew which day I was going to train them harder. I knew which day they had club training. And being able to work with that definitely made it a more enjoyable situation for everyone involved. Yeah. And definitely contributed towards the success of the team as well. Um, and then for me, really, as opposed to club, it was a way for me to really refine my skills because in the heat of high school season, you see the kids every day and you're able to really kind of uh, imprint your way and your style and how you want them to act and behave on the field in a way that's a little bit different in club because it's just a longer period and less training. And so um, that was a real important part for me as a, as a coach. I think I developed a ton during that time. Um, and then the constant games, it's just, um, and the atmosphere, you know, of, uh, of high school as well, dealing with the pressures and things like that, um, yeah. definitely helped me develop as a coach very quickly in a way I think club soccer wasn't able to do for me at the time because it was spread out and less training and less pressure in games at the time. So, um, so that was an important piece of my development as a coach. So you're, you feel like you're able to have more influence on the team because of the environment? Yes, for me at the time. So that's not necessarily true for everyone, but given at the time I was pretty fresh in the club scene so you know I had second teams or younger teams and they aren't training as much um, you know at this this day and age when you're having an elite youth team they're training a ton so you could probably achieve that in the club environment but um, 
the other piece is, you know, when you're in a high school or even a college setting, you have more control over the entire world of the student athlete. So taking that holistic approach of holding them accountable for their academics and their behavior off the field is a little bit easier in that environment than in the club environment. And so that was definitely something I enjoyed and that forced me to develop as a coach as well. Speaking of developing as a coach, what would you do to develop leaders in high school? And so in high school, really for me, it was about, okay, I have a clear idea of this is how I want the team to act. This is how I want you to play. But me just presenting that idea is going to make them do it. So I had to use kind of exercises to help them internalize it. So I think for me personally, I, I worked pretty hard in, in observing and figuring out, you know, who are the leaders of the group even before I appoint them. Um, so naturally, there tend to be leaders in the group and people who teammates listen to. And so uh, winning those people on board first is important and then empowering them to sell your ideas to the rest of the group. And then really kind of allowing the players to ask questions, you know, why, uh, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of this? So that they have an understanding and they're just not, not just robots out there. Because at the end of the day, you know, in training, when you're first introducing something, you can definitely be direct. You know, in this moment, this is what we do, period. You can introduce it like that, but if they don't start to begin to understand why, when they're faced with that moment in the game, they can't make the decision themselves. And so, really, I wanted to create a, an environment in which players could own the decisions themselves and give them the information so that when they encounter difficulties in games, they have the tools to solve them, as opposed to just looking to the sideline, you know, coach, what do we do now? And so that was kind of a, a, along the lines of what I did, allowing them influence, allowing them to ask questions, um, presenting maybe, hey, this is how I want it to s happen in this area of the field. How do you think we can achieve that? So inviting them into the problem solution process as well, um, but then also doing social things. I mean, kids are, are social. They play soccer because yeah. they love it, just like I do and did. And so um, doing fun things, keeping it fun, keeping it light. Um, you know, goofy things. Um, and, Can you give examples? Some... Um, you know, in training, silly uh, uh, warm-ups, like, uh, let's think of some games. <laughs> but just silly warm-ups to keep them laughing, technical things, you know. Um, you'd be amazed. Even 22-year-olds enjoy playing head catch, you know. I mean, I've done that warm-up with my college team before a game, and, and we played well. So, I mean, you know, just keeping things light. Um, but then also at the at Edmond we had a soccer sisters program that those kids absolutely absolutely loved. So it was like secret soccer sisters, and all season long they're trying to figure out who their secret soccer sister is. And every week they give them some kind of gift that is some kind of clue and whatnot. And it just creates community and a way for them to connect. And a lot of times some of the older to connect with the younger players as well. And so yeah, just little things like that. We did also. I actually had one year I had them read a a book on leadership that we worked out of. So we did that mostly in the uh, preseason, but it was um, a friend of mine ran a similar program on leadership. And so I used the, the book there that has basically a, a leader's guide and a student guide. And we went through it together of, you know, um, how do we want our players to act? How do we want our leaders to act? What is your responsibility? And making sure the culture on this team is right and things like that. So we worked out of that workbook as well during the off season. And that sets clear boundaries. like. If you spell it out like that, you know, yeah. someone can't be like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the key. If you're going to hold players accountable to something, you have to give them the expectations. So setting clear expectations is important. Uh, but then also to get buy-in, you've got to allow players some influence. You know, as a leader, you definitely come in and you have an idea of, 
of the culture you want, the environment you want to create, and how you want to play. But at the end of the day, it's not just you. You know, you're leading the team, but they've got to make the action. So you've got to allow players to have input in, in the details of how that gets carried out and invite them into that process. So what made you leave high school? Um, so uh, during that time, I mean, I think I always just kind of wanted to coach as, as good of players as I could you know, as high level as I could. Uh, obviously, I, I, you know, excelled as a, as a player quite well and got to a pretty high level and I think took that same passion and drive into coaching. So it wasn't that I didn't want to coach high school, but really at that time, I actually got a call from the University of Tulsa and got offered a, an assistant position and so saw my chance to get into to college coaching and at the time, to be honest with you, it did not make financial sense <laughs> for me to leave my multiple jobs in Oklahoma City and come mm -hmm. to Tulsa. But again, you know, sometimes you've got to make a temporary sacrifice for a long-term positive outcome. And, and, and we did, my family did, and we moved up to Tulsa and I was an assistant at the University of Tulsa for three years and really enjoyed that. Um, getting back in, into the college environment was really fun. Um, getting to work with, with players at the college level. So, so it was really just kind of part of career advancement. When you were with Oklahoma State, did y'all have rivalry with Tulsa at all? Did y'all play each no, other at all? Really. I know I play, we played them in uh, the spring season because I remember playing at that field, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, we didn't play in the regular season. And uh, I think at the time, TU was fairly young as a program still, so there was probably a a bigger gap in quality than there is now. I mean, since I've gotcha. been there, we've played Oklahoma State and it's a fairly even game. So, uh, whereas at the time, I don't believe it was. So. Gotcha. But you didn't, you didn't sought out University of Tulsa, they came to you just like they out did, of the blue. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Coach Cousin there had, uh, I had gotten to know him through working camp uh, with my coach at Oklahoma State University. And yeah. so we would see each other, you know, every so often. And he always mentioned, hey, you know, I'd like to bring you to TU. But um, they previously only had a GA position open. And I was like, well, I already got my master's degree. I need a real job. And so when they got the funding to add a, a full-time third assistant, he just gave me a call. And I was like, yeah, I'll come on. And uh, so I went in, obviously went through the interview process. But yeah, it was, again, one of those things when you show up and you show yourself faithful and willing to work, people take notice. And when things, opportunities open up, they'll give you a call. So, yeah. That's great. That's very important. Um, what was the biggest thing you learned at University of Tulsa? Um, I don't know that I can say one thing. I think kind of that reintroduction into college sports and obviously for me as a professional, I was older and more experienced. Um, just the, the total the holistic um, approach of, you know, you've got to connect with the person, the player, the student, every piece of baggage that they bring in when they come to you, you know, the player that you recruit is not the player that shows up, <laughs> not in a bad way, but because when you're, you're recruiting them, they're showing you as much good as they can. And yeah. we're, we're all, we all have deficiencies. We all have baggage. We all have, you know, shortcomings and when they arrive and it's just them and it's all of them that's what you get you know in the college level and so um just understanding that whole picture and making sure you meet the needs of your players as people and as students uh and not just as players is so important to the success and at the end of the day especially when they're coming from afar um you're their lifeline you're a lot more than just coach to them in a lot of um, 
aspects of things. So I think just taking that in and, and kind of formulating, you know, hey, this is something I like about the way we do things at TU. Maybe if I get a chance in the future, this is something I would do differently. So just to help me kind of uh, shape, you know, my philosophy and what I wanted to implement as I moved into a head coaching role, wherever that would be. And those are kind of notes I took. But um, uh, yeah, so I think it was, it wasn't really one thing. It was just kind of that, growing my understanding of the needs of the college athletes. So how'd you get to Roger State? So uh, that's another one, actually. The previous coach, Coach Parco, got uh, Parkinson that was there as another kind of associate. So he went to college at USAO and uh, was connected at OSU in Oklahoma City as well. And when he started out coaching, and so we didn't know each other very well, but you know, you, you figure out each other. I knew him as a hard worker. He knew me as a hard worker and, and just kind of kept in touch. And obviously being college coaches, albeit in different levels, you know, we, our paths would cross while I was at TU. And so I really wasn't looking for a job. Um, I was still at TU and I was happy and, and doing well. And uh, Parker gave me a call and said, man, I'm probably going to be leaving. And if I do, you should apply for my job. And so I was like, what? <laughs> and uh, he took a job in the NWSL with Utah Royals. And I entered the, the process at Roger State. And honestly, it kind of came out of nowhere. I was not looking to leave to you. I was really enjoying the work we were doing there. And my family was happy and whatnot. But when you get a potential head coaching position opening, I mean, I just had to take a look at it and then went through that process. and and. Yeah, that's where I ended up. Got the job, and I was really excited. And uh, Claremore is just a—it's a neat place. It's a fun place, and a lot of good people. And so I really enjoyed my time there as well. What was it like being head coach for the first time? Um, you know, I don't think it was like for me at that stage of my career. It wasn't that big of a step in, in terms of like going from assistant to head coach, and probably because I had had sole responsibility at the WPSL level before, at obviously the high school level before. Um, but also credit to Coach Cousin and Coach Ryan at, at uh, TU, man, they let me do whatever I was willing to do. And that, and, you know, I know a lot of college assistants that they do everything behind the scenes, but they never get to like give tactical team talks. They never get to run training. You know, their input is maybe considered. I mean, Kyle and Jim were very much like, man, we want to help you. And what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And of course, it didn't always go my way, but like they valued my input and they trusted me to run pieces of, of training and to make changes and make adjustments. And so I felt pretty well prepared based on my experience there and previous experiences. Um, but then also, I think during time, even outside of uh, soccer, I had invested in developing my leadership skills. So whether that was kind of in a professional environment uh, away from soccer, um, or, you know, in a, in a management or office setting at Soccer City, even through the banks, but also within my church. Uh, my husband and I rose to, to leadership within my church as well. And so picking up those lessons along the way definitely made, made it seamless to me. And so if anything, I think I was just like ready to go to work more so than being nervous. Gotcha. Was when you went in there, you did not recruit that year, correct? Had, had the team already uh, so been recruited for you? Yeah, so they had been uh, signed pretty much the majority of the class, but I think I added two, maybe three 
that year uh, in pretty, pretty short span. Um, by the time I got there, the way recruiting worked at the time, they had already signed their letters of intent. So I didn't have to do a ton of the recruiting, but there was some scholarship money available. And obviously sometimes, you know, uh, players leave if their coach leaves or whatever. So I did add two or three, I think, that first year and then uh, mostly recruited for the next year. Gotcha. And while at Roger State, what do you feel was the, like, biggest thing you brought that kind of changed the way things were being done in the women's yeah. program for the better? Well, I think the, uh, the really big positive in coming to RSU is the transition, even though, you know, girls may not have seen it because I knew the previous coach, he helped me out a lot. So, you know, Hey, this is what we've done. This is what we haven't done. This is why this looks like this, or, you know, I could call him and say, hey, tell me about this recruit. Why did you decide on her? What is she good at? What is she not good at? So, I mean, it was a lot more than just coming in and like, here's your team and you don't know anything about what's happened. So that helped. But I think uh, to, to answer your question, you have to put in context that the two years before I got there, there was a coach who had a, a, a lot of success, or I should say one season of very good success. The, pre the previous one was kind of the first year of turning things around. Prior to that, they had had like five seasons of, of really bad losing <laughs> and so there was a lot of transition and when he got there he had to recruit really out of JUCOs to get kind of an immediate influx so even though I inherited some of his recruits there were a lot of two-year players and so there was a lot of turnover in terms of people personnel in the team and so it was at a a kind of pivotal point where we could say okay at this point the program is now well known enough and respected locally that we can actually start to recruit four-year recruits locally and still get talent and compete with like local competitors whereas prior to that really wasn't the case and so I got to be part of that transition and really get in some kids that um, you know could be four-year players four-year contributor contributors and also actually compete with compet competing uh, universities in, in our state and in our region whereas previously that wasn't really the case so I think uh, being part of that transition and, and beyond, you know, wins and losses, just establishing the program as, you know, this is a place where players should go. And coaches, club coaches in the state of Oklahoma, North Texas and surrounding areas would actually know who this school is. And so I think that's where I picked up the torch and was able to, to do. And so now, you know, even with the next coach, whom I also was able to, to hand things over to pretty well, he can show up and people go, oh, that's Roger State. Whereas like prior to me, that just wasn't the case, <laughs> you know? And so I got, and I, I, that was not my own doing. It was a collective effort, but I think that was kind of the pivotal change uh, that isn't necessarily associated with wins and losses, but definitely with kind of the culture and long-term trajectory of the program and even the, the university. And so um, I think that was a kind of the pivotal moment in which we were as a team. Um, the other piece was developing an identity and style of play because prior to that, because of kind of needing immediate wins and being um, not being able to be too picky in recruiting because of the lack of results in the past and interest of the program. Whereas when I picked it up, I could go, I don't only need a right back, I need that right back. And you know, this is how we wanna play. And so I think the previous coach was a lot more pragmatic in, we're just gonna do what we need to do to get one or two yeah. wins here and there, you know? And I respect that and probably would have done the same had I came in when he came in. But by the time I got there, we had more players that could 
grasp and also be there for four years and internalize the style of play. So I think th those were kind of two pivotal things that I was able to start working towards. Obviously, I ended up only being there two years, but I think even now when I talk with a lot of the girls who are there or who have graduated, um, a common thread that I kind of get is that they, they now think about what is my philosophy about soccer. And so that's something I wanted to leave them with and that I know the, the coach before me definitely had those goals and in terms of his own vision um, mm. and philosophy of soccer, but because of the state of the program, maybe wasn't able to focus on those things as much. And so um, I think those were, were key. And then I think him, myself, even the, the current coach, uh, there's always been a, and continues to be a focus on not just athlete, athletics, but the whole student athlete, making sure that when they go there, when, when parents drop their kids there, they know that there are people who care for them, who care for them as people and care about their success on and off the field, socially, emotionally, academically, all of the above. And I think that's true for the university as a whole, the athletic department as a whole. And that's definitely something I bought into while being there. Tell me about Fortuna. I'm making you talk a lot, I know. Oh, look at that. My, what was that, two years ago? I actually played WPSL, so uh, I played the first year Fortuna was a franchise, and I mean, it's just like, I'm just a lifelong lover and learner of the game, and so I had two kids, and I was like, man, let's get back out there, <laughs> so I got out there and played, and it was really fun, because uh, probably like 70% of the team, I had coached at some point, whether when they were kids or, you know, even in high school and college, and so a uh, ton of fun, got to play again, and uh there were some new, you know, new people that had invested in, in that franchise in the city of Tulsa. And so I got to know them playing. The next spring, they asked me if I'd coach the team because I was ready to not play. <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, ended up coaching the team. And um, anyway, so I mean, it was just, it's a ton of fun. I think Tulsa has actually produced a ton of talent over, you know, the last 10, 15 years. And I don't know, about 80, 90% of our roster were Tulsa-based players. So to get them back together, and these are, you know, grown women with careers, but that have grown up together, and some are obviously still in college, but it was really neat for them to come back and play together as well. And uh, like I said, myself and a few others, I mean, I had um, one of my OSU teammates, so she's, you know, not that much younger than me. <laughs> she was also playing, and so we got to play together again, and some of the other players on the team had also coached some of the girls when they were little, whether in camp settings or, you know, academies or what have you. So I think it was a good, like, celebration of, of soccer and of women's soccer in the state. Like family reunion. Yeah, it really was. And, um, and then also just, I think that's an area in which the United States is still lacking. Like, you don't have to stop playing soccer just because you finish college, you know, and, uh, I mean, in a lot of places in Europe and South America, everywhere around the world, really, like you have leagues at every level um, and grown people with lives and careers and families are still playing competitive soccer in the sense that it's organized and people compete, but, you know, it's a lower level uh, to where it's obviously not elite. Um, and so um, we're, I think we're really missing that model in the United States in terms of uh, remaining you know lovers and learners of the game and creating that culture of men we all get out and play and so in the absence of that i think the wpsl really functioned as an opportunity for women to keep playing and and share the love for the sport how was your 
you're how many years were you at uh, Fortuna or are you still with them? So uh, I'm still with them. Yeah, obviously right now we don't know if the season is going to happen. But yeah, so I've right. coached them one year. And I mean, of course, it helped that we had a ton of success. We didn't lose a game until the final game of the year. So um, and that was a regional final. So we were top eight in the nation. Um, That's amazing. Out on the final four. I mean, yeah, it really was amazing. And so um, anyway, so I've, I was the head coach for one year and I'm, I'm the appointed head coach right now. We don't know what's going to happen with the WPSL season at this current time. But um, yeah, the plan is to play another uh, another season and then we'll see obviously after this. So how did TSC recruit you? So, um, yeah, so that same uh, ownership group of uh, Fortuna ended up uh, taking over ownership of Tulsa Soccer Club, the youth club. And so had you asked me probably a year ago if I would consider going to full-time club soccer, I'd be like, nah, you're crazy. <laughs> so um, I just, uh, uh, I, I really had not considered that. Not because, I mean, not, not because I necessarily had a bad thought about it, but because I was just kind of tunnel vision on, man, I'm enjoying this college thing. I'm having success. I want to grow in this area and see where it takes me, kind of. And so I really hadn't thought about it. They kind of brought it up like at the tail end of the season, you know, hey, we're kind of in this process of probably acquiring the youth club. Uh, there might be some some opportunities here. And I was like, oh, dude, it's August and I'm thinking about college. Like I'm not right. <laughs> thinking about a new job. I'm getting ready to go in the grind, you know. And so we really didn't talk about it a whole lot more. But I did complete my um, USSF uh, B license during that time. And part of that process as well definitely made me think about philosophy and and where I, who I want to be as a coach and a leader and, and what I want to stand for. And ultimately, at the end of college season, when we sat down and actually had a serious conversation about, you know, what would me moving into a full-time position at a youth club look like, there were a couple of things that won me over. Um, the ability to impact as many players as, po as possible in a positive manner is, is greater when you're working in a club setting than in with one college team. Um, Another thing so how many kids do you oversee at once? Like, uh, I've got a counter. I mean, we've got over a thousand kids in the club, so there, there's a lot of them. Obviously, they're boys and girls in different levels, but um, there's a lot. Um, so that a lot more than a roster of 26 to yeah, 30. Yeah, a lot more. <laughs> um, but um, the other piece is. I, you know, so I obviously had a pretty elite upbringing in, in soccer and you know was was at the elite level at a young age but during that time so um the current um manager of the swedish national team peter yaradson and his assistant magnus wikman they were my high school coaches um pia sundhage who is a swedish coach who was the coach of the u.s women's national team and won the olympics and second in the world cup uh she was my uat national team coach um Anna Sinjol, who has coached the Scottish women's national team, was my uh, U15 through U17 national team coach. Um, I've had another one, uh, Per Vidian, who was my club coach uh, for several years growing up in Sweden, is now the technical director of the Swedish Federation. I wasn't thinking about this when I was a kid, but I'm realizing that my experience was elite in every aspect of the word. Right. And so as I kind of started noticing these college players, my expectation of what they ought to know by the time they got to college was a lot higher than what I felt they knew. And that wasn't, you know, it wasn't just uh, my players at RSU or my players at TU, it was just evaluating the state of the college game. And so for me, I'd say, you know, 
when a kid is 18, 19, they're pretty set in their habits. And so what can I do to help influence that kid when they're more impressionable at 8, 10, 12, 14, create good habits so that they can maximize their potential and be better players by the time they get to college. And so that was another thing that had kind of been brewing in me for a while. And I don't think I thought a ton about it because at the time I was like, well, for now I'm in college and that's what I'm doing. But with this opportunity coming along, it definitely made me go, wait, you know, I could actually make an impact here. And so um, that was definitely something that I, you know, I was like, oh, this is real now. I can think about this. And then, you know, the new ownership group definitely had some, some goals and ideals of, of creating an academy that had a unified curriculum and, and uh, that uh, relates not just to what's happening on the field, but, but the type of young leaders that we raise up that definitely enticed me and I've been part of shaping that. So we were interrupted by the coronavirus, but uh, I'm looking forward to, to Just put on pause for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Gives you more so, time to plan out better for one yeah, team. Yeah, basically. So I'm, I'm getting excited about, you know, implementing some of those things going into the fall and, and being part of a work that really, you know, when you're working with youth player development, you don't get to see immediate results. I mean, you can get to see some players have some success, but in terms of like big goals, you really don't see the results until three, five, seven years down the road. But being part of such a big project is really exciting and, and something I believe in and I'm excited to see the results and and a chance for my family to get rooted in Tulsa as well. I mean, really, we really enjoy it here. My kids are growing up here, and, and it's a way for me to, to serve my community, to be honest with you. So you're planting seeds for a forest yeah. of soccer players. <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, I mentioned it earlier, there's still a lack of, of female coaches, but in college coaching compared to club coaching, we are very well represented. Um, I went to a coach symposium for the ECNL, the Elite Clubs National League, in January in Las Vegas. And out of like 350 participants, nine were female. And this is, you know, a league that is all over the country and producing all the elite players. And the pressures on 14, 15, 16 year old young girls when they're competing and trying to get Division I scholarships, I mean, they're immense and they need women as part of that leading as well. And so there are tremendous men out there doing the effort of leading and guiding these kids, but that representation matters. And that's another thing where, man, it's, it's not always easy, but I think it's important that someone takes that step. And I wish I would, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say I wish, I had a lot of ro those role models, but I'm realizing that's not the case for a lot of girls out there, so. Well, I'm glad you've stepped into that role and are continuing to do so. Um, I'm sure Tulsa is much better for it, and I know you're inspiring a lot of kids, and um, soon you'll have a forest, a beautiful forest. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think it was a good place to stop. I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. You dropped tons of knowledge. Um, I really appreciate it, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again sometime in the future. All right. I really appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Yolanda. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.